The sermon text today is just on two verses, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. But for context, we're going to read Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. So please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as we, you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. John Laureate's going to be preaching this morning. Thanks, John. Good morning. Welcome again to Holy Trinity. I'm John, one of the pastors here, and thank you, Evan, for reading. Thank you for Billy for that uh, helpful monomic device helping us remember that in 2022 we need to be fit. So, man, I felt a little weird then coming up here and talking about what I'm talking about. So let's do this. If you're willing to run a half marathon in 2022, then just commit to it right now, and I'll do it with you on April 9th, okay? So just to keep the fit imagery in mind. We are in a series called Warming Our Hands and Warming Our Hearts. And you can think of it this way, that we are thinking about the love of God is what warms our hearts. That we really need to, in, in this new year, we need to know about God's love. But also there's work to do as well, and we need to be focused on the work that God has called us to do. And so over about a six-week period, we're just going to be talking about God's love and some of God's work that we feel called to do. Last week, we looked at um, Matthew 28, what's called the Great Commission. And we talked about being and making, practicing disciples. And then this week, as you just heard read, is a lot of, actually is a lot of physical imagery. It's about the body of Christ and building up the body of of Christ. And uh, so there's a, there's a little phrase that is in this text, and this is why I said 
Stay. Stay. This is why I said I wanted to uh, look at verses 12 and 13 in particular, because it talks about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And really what I want to talk about this morning is, I'm going to give you my outline up front to be really simple. Why is it that we feel called to make practicing disciples or to equip practicing disciples? I'm going to give you four reasons. One is a is because of the culture today. Two, they're not all going to be seized, but the next one is. Two is because of our calling. That Jesus has a purpose for your life that you are called to fulfill. And uh, the third reason is really because of our need for equipping, that we can't do the work that we're supposed to do without somebody apprenticing us or coming alongside of us to show, the, show us how to do the work. And the last one is, is the overall purpose or goal, which is unity and maturity. Um, or you could call it, uh, as, as Billy talked about, being strengthened or fortified. So that's where we're going. Why, why do we need equipping in our culture today? One is because of the culture itself. Two is because of our calling. Three is because of our need for equipping. And then the last one is because of the overall goal that we have. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll dive into the text here, and I'll kind of walk through those, those reasons for equipping in, in the next couple of years and why we're committed to that. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for those who are online. We thank you for those who are here in person. Uh, we thank you for the weather of Chicago and uh, how it makes us hearty to uh, have one degree weather. And uh, we thank you that it makes us long for warmer days. But we pray that we'd use this season of hibernation to, uh, to your glory, to be prepared, to be trained. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we're looking at today is this text, but we're also looking at our third priority, which Billy mentioned, which is really training, practicing disciples. So another way to think of it is, why do we need to equip disciples? Why do we need to train people for the work of the ministry? And the first thing I'll just say is uh, because of our culture. And you can see this actually in verse 14. If you keep your Bible open, you can, you can see in verse 14 that Paul uses a little bit of water imagery, and he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And what he's referring to there, I'm, I'm summarizing, is the culture. In other words, it's possible in our culture to be carried along by different currents of thinking. Um, my, one of my brothers, I don't have as many siblings as uh, Rebecca does. I have seven, though, but it, and so half my family was on vacation in Florida. I don't know why Amy and I weren't invited, but we weren't there. And there's this, my brother sent me this, I don't know why it was a touching moment, but it was a touching moment for some of my family. My father um, has, has gotten a little bit less mobile in the last um, four or five years or so. He had a surgery on his back, on his spine, and it, he, they, we think they nicked a nerve, and so he lost some of the functionality of, of one of his legs, and so he uses a little bit of cane. And so he asked, uh, he asked my sister and my brother to take him into the water uh, in Florida when they were on vacation. And so here he is, and they have this, like, uh, you know, kind of shaky iPhone video of him going into the water. And for some reason, I don't know, it had, like, this kind of 
baptism feel to it a little bit of my dad standing in the water and my brother and sister, there are waves and like kind of holding him as he's going up and down. And I, I say that because of the imagery here. If he was going to walk into the water, he could get sort of tossed by the water. Although the imagery here is of, of not being little children. In other words, what Paul's saying as he writes to the Ephesians is there are cultural tides and cultural teachings. Um, there, there's, there's actually something called a, uh, a sneaky wave that comes in a set of waves in the ocean that you're not ready for, and it kind of sweeps you away. Some of you guys know what, what riptides are. A riptide is when there's like a channel of water that moves um, a lot of times adjacent to the shore or sometimes pulls people out from the shore. And uh, I, I just looked up a couple of, of riptide stories to put this in this kind of aquatic imagery that we have here. It says, so last summer, there's a, a, a journalist named Joseph Wilkerson wrote about a tremendous tragedy. He wrote uh, in the New York Daily News that a father and his five-year-old son died Friday night after they were swept into Tampa Bay by the riptide. Rescuers located the father and son about 90 minutes after they were swept out. Um, and the man was found dead in the water, and the child was rushed to the local hospital and then pronounced dead. Areas marked that are clearly marked, no swimming, and it's for a reason. And so Paul's picking up this kind of imagery for people who are not as uh, agile in water as the average uh, North American is, because most of us are trained to swim when we're a little kid. In that culture, people wouldn't have, have been able to swim as much, particularly little kids. Um, another story, July 2019, uh, the headline went like this, a recent grad dies days after Florida riptide pulled her out into the oceans. Somebody from her church said this, uh, although she was a great swimmer, Jayla was no match for the rip current that pulled her underwater in a moment's notice. A large wave swept her out and under deeper water, and despite a valiant effort to save her, Jayla never recovered. And uh, what Paul is warning about here is, is not um, physical riptides or th those waves that can sneak up on you, but the waves of culture and teaching. One of the ways that we've talked about it in, on our steering committee, which, which has had uh, kind of this banner of Chicago 2025, is um, that there's this kind of swirling of cultural waves that causes people to lose their head, lose their sense of direction, uh, lose your sense of standing, and suddenly you feel like, where did everybody go? And, and uh, in some of our work, as we were just thinking about our culture, we outlined it a few different ways in terms of Holy Trinity, in terms of the culture that we're in. And we said it this way, the Chicago's at the center of a generational and multicultural revolution, and that there's, we didn't use this imagery, I'm, I'm using it now, but there's the, you, one cultural wave that we listed as you could call it city transients. And in other words, the waves of, you can think of it this way, the waves of the global economy sometimes take your friends that live with you in the city and pluck them up and put them somewhere else. Maybe in Boston, maybe in New York, maybe in New Haven, maybe in um, Palo Alto, or maybe all four. We had a dinner on Friday night with somebody who's moving to New York to work in Boston 
and New Haven and Palo Alto, and we had to say goodbye. And sometimes it just feels like you're, I'm, I'm saying, experientially living in the center of the city, sometimes it feels like your friend was there, and now they're like way down there in Ireland or somewhere, or in London. Where did they go? That's a, that's a kind of cultural force, another cultural force. You can think of the underwater current of polarizing politics. Some of you feel like in the last 18 months, how is it that somebody who was standing next to me, so to speak, previously, is now has been swept way to the left or swept way to the right, and like we, can't, we don't even know how to talk to each other anymore? Or another current in the last 18 months is exposed racial tension. So, you know, 18 months or so ago when George Floyd died, it seemed like there was this kind of uh, uprising to mobilize against racial injustice. And in reality, what's happened a bit now is that there's been a backlash against it so that um, it, there's more polarization. Again, it's like you're swimming out there. And, and this has happened to me before with, with, in Florida where I'm out swimming and then look up and I'm 200 yards away from where I thought I was because of the, be because of the undercurrent that is pulling you. I think it's safe to say that in the last five years, these cur cultural currents feel like they are increasing. Another one you could say would be um, the, the, the kind of secular movement of our culture, the, the post-Christian nature of our culture. Uh, some of you are, are, have moved here from the south, and the north feels very cold uh, in in the climate, but also uh, perhaps spiritually it can feel that way as well. So anyway, there's a lot of cultural tides that are out there, and Paul is saying that you have to be sort of rooted or strong in the face of those cultural times. Or the first reason why we think we need equipping is because the culture will shape you. And if the culture is going to shape you, then we need this kind of counterformation from the local church, we talked about it last week as kind of like an immersing of ourselves in the character of God in the community of God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And so that, that's kind of a dismal picture. That's a dismal reason, sort of, is this cultural reason. It, the, the context, though, is a beautiful, powerful reason why we need to be equipped. So we need to be equipped because of the culture, but we also need to be equipped. Paul says, look at chapter uh, 4, verse 1, because of your calling... So here's Paul saying he's writing uh, from jail. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And he says, he, he's mainly writing to Gentiles here, and he says, I'm, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, God has a calling on your life. Some of you are saying, I don't know about this calling. I just walked in here. Somebody dragged me to church. I'm not a follower of Jesus. He does have a calling, and he's asking you to hear his voice. Listen to how the, the calling is described. In the midst of this culture, he says, with humility and patience and bearing with one another in love. That's part of your calling as a follower of Jesus is to ask God to work on your character so that you could be more humble and more loving in this culture and world. This is how we stated it um, in some of the literature with our, with our steering committee. Rather than freeze in the midst of cultural adversity, Holy Trinity downtown 
has chosen to move forward strategically and prayerfully to fulfill God's renewing work in the city of Chicago and all the more in tumultuous times. We want to be a church that is laser-focused on vibrant worship and on the training and developing of practicing disciples to be the kind of church that our culture needs now and well into the future, a beacon of light, encouraging each other to live out faith in these tumultuous times. That is the culture and the calling let me just go a little deeper on this idea of calling, because Paul uh, continues on it. If you look, uh, it, if you continue to let your eyes scroll down, he says there's one body. So rather than just being tossed about by waves or pulled by the riptide of culture, he's saying, no, you're firmly rooted in a body. You're firmly part of who Jesus is supernaturally connected to him. There's one spirit. In other words, there's a counterforming presence in the world, which is the spirit of God who's called you to live in a certain way. There's one God and father of all who's over all and through all and in all. He's sovereign is what he's saying. And he's also saying that that spirit, that God lives within you as part of your calling. He says, but grace was given to each of us to the measure of Christ's gift. And essentially what he says in verse 12 is this, that the calling that we have means that, the, let, me, let me just say this clearly, that the work of God belongs to the people of God. Let me say that again. The work of God belongs to the people of God. And there's a kind of heresy that has crept up uh, in church history, which is that the work of God belongs to the priest of God or the pastor of God or the elders of God. And that for the rest of us, we receive the work from the pastors and we become sort of like, uh, it's like going to a restaurant or something and the pastors kind of serve you the food and then you're done with the meal and then you leave. And this is like, that's what happens on, on Sunday morning. That this, this is what we can call, sometimes we call the sacred secular divide. That the work that I do as a pastor is really holy but the work that you do as a medical professional or as an accountant or as a teacher or somebody who's retired is not really spiritual. We just sang a moment ago, establish the work of our hands. Because what this text is saying is that the work of God belongs to the people of God. <laughs> and that pastors and teachers and prophets and others have a role that has to do with equipping. Like, think how much more effective we would be in North America. But the way the New Testament works is, no, the Spirit of God is for the people of God to equip them for the work of God. So why do we need equipping in our culture today? One, because of the culture itself. But two, because this is our calling. This is your calling to do the work of God, to be his spokesperson, to be his workman, to be a priest, somebody, and if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint already. That's what verse 12 says, to equip this. If God had a book in heaven with your name on it, a digital file, these are the good, the good deeds, the good works that this mother this accountant, that this businesswoman, 
has to do in her or his life. And, and your job is to find it and to do it as a priest, as a saint in the world. That's what this passage is about. The culture's going to toss you around. There's all these waves that you have work to do. You have a calling to do. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon you so that God might establish the work of your hands. There's a lot of different views of church. One leader has said recently that some people think of church as like a cruise line, like they come to hear like an entertaining message. They come to partake of the, you know, religious uh, offerings for their kids and for things like that. Other people think of uh, the church as like a battleship, like we got to kill as many people that are on the, I'm serious, like in our cultural wars today, that's what it feels like sometimes, like, well, let's shoot as many people as possible. There's these other kind of ships that um, sail around the world that stop in ports and give people food and give people medicine and proclaim good news to them. The church isn't a cruise ship. It's not a battleship either, really. Unless it's a battle against the flesh and the world and the devil, it's a mission ship to bring the kindness of Jesus to the world. We need equipping because of our culture, because of our calling, because it's, it's also our need. Um, think of it this way. While God has given all of us who are part of the body spiritual gifts, so everybody has spiritual gifts, there are some limited leadership gifts which are responsible for equipping let me just say that one more time. While God has given everybody spiritual gifts within the church, there are some mostly word-oriented spiritual gifts that are responsible for equipping. In other words, some people here in this room right now or in the broader congregation, I believe and I know, have the gift of what you might call evangelism. That's just like somehow they connect with people. Somehow when they start talking, people want to know about Jesus from them, and they can articulate it. That kind of person needs a, an equipping role, meaning they need to be equipped, but also they got to tell the other people around them, this is how I do it. <laughs> this is what God taught me about hospitality and about loving people and about pursuing people. So what Paul does is he lists these five gifts that are all equipping gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. Some people spell it out as apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. That's an easy way to remember it. There's a lot of confusion about these gifts. I'm going to say a couple things real quick. These are not offices, meaning the office of apostleship, in my own view, doesn't exist anymore. Like, if... If Sully says, hey, I'm Apostle Sully, and you must do this because I tell you to, go to park. Just kidding. <laughs> go to renewal, okay? Go to a different church then. I'm teasing. But the gift of, the gift of apostleship, I'm going to do a quick overview of these five gifts. The gift of, the, of apostleship is a lowercase a, and it's people who love to see the growth of the church in the region or in the world. <laughs> 
Those are people who are like, man, I just love that there's a new church that has started over there and praise God for it. When you're around those people, you get excited about the fact that another church is growing and not your church is growing. The prophet is the person, lowercase p, again, there's no, I don't believe there's an office of prophet, but God does give the gift of prophecy, I believe today, is that person when they talk to you, all of the sudden, it's like they are looking directly into your soul. And they're like, they just tell you something, you're like, oh, right? And you, you feel like, you know, you're going to test it according to the scriptures, but you feel like, man, God was speaking through you at that moment. That's a prophetic. The evangelist already said they're the ones who are like, they start talking about Jesus and people want to come. They gather people. The shepherd is the one you're around them and you feel kind of loved. Like, you feel like everything's going to be okay. You feel protected. You feel nourished. And then the teacher is the one who instructs. Now, these, I believe these gifts go together, that some, some people can be like um, a, a pro, pro, prophetic teacher. When they teach, it's like, that's so clear, and it went right through my soul. Some people, I think, are like a, a, a teacher, a, a apostolic teachers. When they teach, it's like you want to go do the work of the kingdom. Someone like Tim Keller, I think, is he's he's evangelistic and apostolic. So like when you hear him teach, it's like, oh, that makes sense as a non-believer or as an outsider. So the role of certain gifts are to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. And and Billy mentioned it already. I'll just I'll put it in this context. So we used to meet at Murphy Auditorium, which is 50 East Erie, and at 12 East Erie, there's a carpenter's union there. And the whole, what, what they do at the carpenter's union is they train people to be carpenters, but they train, if you want to be a carpenter right now, Google uh, a, apprentice carpenter. And the, the salary is between like $35,000 and $57,000. I'm thinking about becoming a carpenter, and there's 107 Google, I'm teasing, but 107 um, hits came up of what what happens in carpentry is that you apprentice yourself to someone. So one of the reasons why we believe we need something like the Institute is because the cultural forces are so strong right now. And because we believe the work of God belongs to the people of God. But we also believe that there are certain people within the church who need to have their gifts elevated to help other people do what they need to do. We call that sometimes a teaching hospital. You go into a teaching hospital, it's, it's not like a, a, another hospital in a neighborhood or, or in, a, in the suburbs, say, because in a teaching hospital, you'll have an attending physician and then a fellow and then two residents and then two medical students maybe, and it's like crowded in there. And they don't even care that you're there. I'm just teasing. But, but they do care that you're there. But the whole thing is that there's like a learning community that's going on in the medical room because medicine is not merely about head knowledge. It is also about the skill to slice someone open and know where the liver is and know how it's different from a spleen. Like, you want accuracy with your surgeon. I don't know, I got something, but I'm not sure exactly what this is, but I got it, you know. Holy Trinity wants, has always wanted to be a teaching hospital, so we've trained 100 interns in vocational ministry, but also marketplace ministry of saying, how do we help people in theologically rigorous, 
intensive ways, built in relationship, to prepare not just vocational workers, but to prepare marketplace workers, to prepare the average person, the average amazing masterpiece of God to do their work in the world. We need equipping because we're not done yet as followers of Jesus. We need older people to teach the younger people. So there are certain gifts that have to do with preparing, and it's those five gifts that I just mentioned. But your culture, our culture, plus our calling, plus our need, is, is why we need equipping. We need to be finished in that way. And we've always wanted Holy Trinity to be a kind of missional discipleship training hub. It's hard to say goodbye to people, to hold people with an open hand. Unless it's part of your mission, send people to other parts of the world. Say, I love you for the two years that you're here. I want to hang out with you and stay in touch with you. But go to Colorado or go to Ireland. The 18th or 19th, and 19th century clergyman diplomat, whose name is Charles Maurice de Tarion Perigord, I just want to say that in French, uh, is credited with saying this, without individuals, nothing happens. Let me say that again. Without individuals, nothing happens. Without institutions, nothing lasts. So part of the point of what we're doing in clarifying these priorities is saying, let's establish some things that will last for 50 years, that will last beyond us. And we hope that the Institute is one of those things. And then the last reason for equipping practicing disciplesships, let me say that again, equipping practicing disciples or for establishing this Institute is for verses 13 to 16, which is maturity and unity. If, the church, if you think of the church today, it seems very divided, often seems very immature as well. And yet Paul has this vision, and he's like, no, no, no. We have this thing that we are doing that is actually building. The vision is the cosmic body of Jesus. That's what this vision of. When it talks about mature manhood, it's going back to the vision in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, of Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, seated in heaven, and the whole church connected to him. And he's saying, we are part of this cosmic mission that nobody can overthrow, that nobody can stop. And our job is really to let the Spirit of God work through us to do the work of God in his power to bring about maturity and unity and love. Listen to what it says in the second half of 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Let's keep working for that. And the knowledge of the Son of God. Oh, you want that? To know the Son of God experientially, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like, who are you without Jesus? And then who are you when Jesus is working in you and through you? That's what God wants for you, is to be you plus the power of Christ in you who has redeemed you. As we sang a minute ago, you were wandering as a stranger, and he came and found you, and he sealed you for the courts of heaven above, and he empowered you to be a, a priest and, 
and a saint in this world today, so that we may no longer be tossed as children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Hey, that sounds good. Let's go with that. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So here's, here's what we're all to do. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Can you do that, those two things? Look at someone and say to them what they need to hear. And doing it without being a jerk. <laughs> do it with the love of Christ. Some of us do one or the other. We're like, ah, I love people, but can't tell them what they need to hear. And others of us are like, I'll tell them. But, you know, uh, I'm just going to tell you, okay? I'm just going to tell you. I don't mean to be a jerk, but I'm just going to tell you. And he said, no, do those two things together. So that we grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, if you have, if you're, if, if in your body there's a part of you, and this is what happened to my dad, is they nicked a nerve and his foot doesn't work quite yet anymore. Late 70s. If part of your body is dying, you're not healthy. What Paul is saying is, no, the people of God are to do the work of God, but they are all to be active for his work. That's the vision that Paul gives here. He says we need to be equipped for the culture because of the calling that we have, because we have this need for equipping, and then with this overall goal. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what we're saying. Teach us to number the length of our days. Psalm 90, Moses says you're going to live to either 70 or 80. Teach us to number our days. So figure out how many more days we got left to live. And then teach us to finish the race for only what's done in love will remain. Let's do what we're called to do in love. I'm going to close. There's a little piece there that's kind of weird. It's a quotation from Psalm 68. You can go back and look at it later in your text where it talks about that he ascended. And then it says, well, hey, if he ascended, then it must mean he had descended so that he could ascend. And the imagery in Psalm 68 is of God moving through the desert and seeing his enemy and conquering his enemy. And then grabbing what's called the spoils of war and distributing them so the people rejoice. And the picture there, when it quotes it um, in, in verse 9 and 10, 8, 9, and 10, is a picture that Jesus got some prizes, so to speak, for us. That's a weird way of saying it. But he has secured for you all of the benefits of salvation. There's one more story of a father um, who died in a riptide this, this last summer, and uh, his name, I'm just going to find his name here. His name was Fred Pepperman. He's 53 years old. He's from Tennessee. Maybe some of you heard about this. His daughters were swept into, they were on vacation in Florida. His daughters were swept into the water on July 14th. Grace, who was 16 years old, was caught in the riptide, so two other daughters go to try to help her. One is named Olivia. She's 20. Another one's 24. Her name is Catherine. They go out to retrieve her, and they're caught in the riptide. So is his wife. 
So the dad swims out there to rescue the girls. And the, again, the riptide is like yanking people out. He goes out and he yanks them into shore. And then the article says, while his daughters made it to safety, Fred fell unconscious and had to be pulled back to shore by a group of bystanders who then gave him CPR. He was later declared dead after being rushed to a local hospital, the outlet reported. Here's a guy who gives his life so that his daughters can live. And there's a quote that one of the daughters said is that she was crying out and she said, Daddy, help me. And he said, I got you. And those are the last words that he told her. And the mom says, he died for the greatest purpose in life for his children. Freddie will never be forgotten, but his life, but life also will never be the same with him. In one sense, what Christ says to us is, I got you. In the midst of the waves, I got you in this culture. He says, in the midst of your calling, I got you. In the midst of the equipping that we need done, he's saying, that's the plan. And he says that he has us to bring us into maturity and love and unity. So it's our work, yeah. But it's actually his work in us and through us. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, and he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. He gave his life to equip you for the work that you are called to do. May you do it with great energy and great strength. I'm going to pray, and then Melissa's going to come up here and, and um, explain a little bit more about the Institute, and then we'll sing and be on our way. So let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have, uh, that you went out to rescue us when we were flailing, when we couldn't make our way back to shore, make our way back to you. That like a loving father, like a brother, Christ said, no, 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 no. It's worth giving my life so that others might live, so that others might glorify God and work to his glory in this world today. Establish the work of our hands, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Melissa um, is a good friend and is really a staff member with Crew. She raises her support so that she can serve you and serve the city. She's been very passionate about um, Faith and Work Chicago, which she helped to start, but she's also very passionate about the Institute, uh, the Holy Trinity Institute for uh, Discipleship and Missions. She's going to tell you a little bit about that. And if the website works, we're going to show you a couple things on the website. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, John. Yeah, I was wondering if I could manage this microphone this morning. Uh, 
me there. Um, well, great. It's, uh, it's really exciting for me to get to talk about this with you today. We're just going to take a couple minutes and share with you more about the Institute, which um, hopefully you saw the sign when you came in. There's cards on your chair. I'd encourage you to look at those. Um, there's a QR code where you can see uh, the courses that we're going to be offering. Um, but I'm just, I'm really excited to get to talk about this because this is something that we've been talking about and thinking about, praying about, planning for, um, honestly, since before the pandemic began, which is like a lifetime ago. So everything that John shared in his sermon today is the context for why we have been so excited to launch what we have called the Holy Trinity Institute for Discipleship and Mission. Uh, as a church, we feel like this is our response to the calling that we have to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to see the body built to maturity. Uh, the Institute is a way for us to do that with intentionality, to sort of formalize uh, our plans and, and how we're going to do this. Um, and so I'm excited just to present it to you this morning. And we thought the best way to do that would just be to show you the website that we've been working on designing for a little while now, just to walk you through that briefly, and then encourage you to also take a look at that yourself um, today. So uh, Sully is actually going to scroll through this as I talk about it. Uh, if you're watching online at home, there might be a link below the video, or you can just go to htcinstitute.org, and you can look at that as well with us. Um, you can see our vision there is to equip practicing disciples for life and service in the city. There's a little bit of about that you can read. But as we've been saying, this is a big part of one of our three priorities for Chicago 2025 to train practicing disciples. And so we're really in the beginning stages of developing out all four of the areas that, um, that Sully is going to show there. It's uh, cultural engagement, courses, cohorts, and content. And so I like to think of these as like four pathways for your involvement. So for you to be involved, there are sort of four different pathways to engage with um, over the course of time. So related to the first one and the last one on cultural engagement and on content, um, I get really excited to think about what it's going to look like in like three years and five years and ten years uh, as we begin really um, uh, doing speaker forums and workshops as we get our blogs going and writing articles, even podcasts uh, around culturally relevant topics so that we can be grounded in what scripture says um, about the things that are, confront us in our urban context. So as John just preached on that uh, we won't be tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by winds of doctrine in our culture. Uh, this is really hopefully going to help us to, to have a biblical worldview, to be uh, rooted and grounded in what um, scripture has to say about different issues that come up in our culture. And through our, our Chicago 2025 vision, we are going to look to you and to many of those in our congregation and our body um, who have uh, um, gifts and skills and, um, you know, are, uh, have expertise to be part of teaching and developing uh, material so that the whole body grows and develops itself in love. So I'm excited about a lot of the things that are to come that we are in the process of working on over the next few years. Um, but I do just want to quickly show you a few ways that you can get involved right now. So Sully, if you would click on Learn More under Cohorts. Uh, we have these different cohort offerings, um, and the idea is that you can be involved in a learning community over a longer period of time. So most of these have to do with like our academic year, uh, a nine-month um, different programs you've heard about, and you'll hear a lot about this spring. The Burnham Fellowship, which John mentioned, it's our marketplace cohort. It's been going on for the past six years. We've trained 90 people um, as we've gone through that, and so we want to invite you to, to think about this marketplace cohort. Uh, but there's also the Chicago Plan, which is our vocational ministry cohort, and that's been going on for like the past two decades training hundreds of people in vocational ministry. So I would love to just encourage you to look at this page, explore further, even begin to pray about, um, would, you, would this be something that in the next, uh, next fall you might consider applying for and being a part of a cohort? 
So that's one way that's already developed, uh, but even more immediately, so if you would click on Get Involved, and oh, you're already there, uh, under Courses. So I want to mention, uh, these are four areas that we intend to continually offer courses uh, under Christian Story and Christian Beliefs, Biblical Interpretation, and Christian Formation. Um, so these four areas are kind of what I would think about as like a framework for the variety of courses that we will continue to be offering. So they'll range from uh, an introduction to a deep dive into a specific area. Um, you have heard about this fall, we offered a course that was uh, in the biblical story category called The True Story of the World, an Introduction to Biblical Theology. We're going to actually offer that one again, as we've been saying, um, on Monday evenings starting in February, so we'd love to have you check that out. We're also adding an Introduction to Spiritual Formation, which is obviously in the Christian Formation course. Um, that'll happen on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We'd love to have you be a part of that um, starting in February as well. But eventually we're going to have other offerings in these categories too. So perhaps we would do a whole class maybe on worship under the Christian Formation category, or under Christian Story. We might look at um, sexuality from Genesis to Revelation. What, is, what does the whole council of scripture tell us about this? Or maybe under biblical interpretation, we'll do like a whole class on the book of Hebrews or on the book of Ephesians. So these are all sort of uh, under the bigger umbrella of the Holy Trinity Institute for Discipleship and Mission. What I've just been sharing with the classes is really under the pathway of our courses. So I'm excited um, about a lot of the different variety of offerings that we're going to have with the Institute. I think they fit right alongside our other discipleship opportunities, which includes Sunday morning. It includes our community groups. Um, the Institute really fits right alongside that um, for us to you know, take another step of intentionality to equipping practicing disciples for life and service in the city. So an action step, I just want to invite you to explore the website a little bit more today, take home that card, take a look at it. I would love to ask you to pray about and, and register for an upcoming class. There'll be two starting in February. We'd love to have you be a part of those. Um, and then really just to pray for the Institute, pray about being involved over the years, pray about um, you know, how the Lord might uh, be asking you to, to be a part of developing this and, and, and seeing it so that we're all equipped and, uh, and building ourselves up in, in love and maturity. So um, I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna close with a song of worship. But thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for engaging with us uh, today. Lord, we are excited about this initiative. We're thankful for the opportunity to move forward with intentionality and in equipping the saints for the work of ministry and for a myriad of opportunities to see the whole body growing and building itself up in love. Lord, more than that, we're thankful that you are the one who ultimately equips us, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to make it possible for us to grow and mature in Christ. We ask that for years and decades to come, men and women would be equipped through the Holy Trinity Institute not only to know you more, but to love you more, to walk deeper in your ways. Father, we entrust this initiative to you. We ask that you would use the Holy Trinity Institute and all of the planning that has gone into it for the good of your people, for the good of the city, and for your glory and yours alone. Amen.